0: Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal, and we'll get it answered on the show.
1: You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. <laughs>
2: Hi Christy I hear there's a lot going on in Kansas (laughs) yeah COVID-19 strikes again Um, you know it's just it's been another fun week here with uh, the cancellation of the September 12th postponement date for DK so obviously have been um, navigating those waters and then still working on our name change Um, we've sent out a survey to lots of different people and are getting tons of tons of information back. Um, So that's moving forward, which is exciting. Truthfully, that's super exciting. And then so um, working on our DEI coalition for the events side, and that's also pretty rad to start looking at diversity and inclusivity um, on a deeper level. So it's been it's been a better week from that perspective in the fact that we're really looking at a lot of positives and opportunities and that's been super fun versus just kind of dealing with stuff that's not so fun. So, yeah. how you been?
1: I mean, you know, it's still COVID, it's on the rise. I'm just kind of hanging out at home. There's nothing super exciting going on. And also I don't love hot weather. Yeah. Um, it is just like hot, humid summer now has set in in Atlanta. So it's, it's just- the
2: humidity. Like, I hate even saying that, but it's just like it. You go outside and this, it feels like the world is just sitting on you. Um, and know. you know, I think we're already feeling that. And then to step outside and feel it <laughs> like in a very real way is even, oh, uh, it's, it's like I'm so over
1: it. <laughs> I know it makes me so tired. So then every day I'm like, I have COVID, and I'm like, no. It's just the, the humanity, and like having a lot of work going on and
2: all kinds of things. But you're escaping this weekend, right? Yeah, we're just gonna go to the mountains in the van, and go um, camping. And, you know, honestly, my husband just is looking at me, going, "You, you got my that." This is it's the hardest part for me. Is like the place I find peace and can kind of recharge my batteries is the is being outside. Um, I, I tell a story, like I, I have my maternal grandmother and my paternal grandmother. My dad's mom, my grandma Ruth, both of my grandmas were these amazing, amazing women. But my grandma Ruth um, liked to needlepoint and always had her hair done and didn't like to go outside in the wind because it would mess up her hair and always had her makeup on. Um, and when she died, like her skin, she looked like a porcelain doll. And then my grandma Tui, my mom's mom, uh, swore like a sailor, um, loved to be outside, loved to fish, loved to camp, wanted – just didn't like being indoors. And when she died, she looked like a a leather saddle, old-worn leather (laughs) saddlebag. I just – I remember saying to my husband, I was like, just be prepared. I'm going to look like that old-worn leather (laughs) saddlebag. So I just – as much as I love my grandma Ruth, my grandma Tui's spirit is definitely um, alive and well in Christy Moon and the fact that I just, I need to be outside and it's so hot and humid um, that we're not, I mean, we're just going to go straight up into the mountains in the van and just camp for a couple days and just read books. I will, um, I will do my cross stitching and tribute to my grandma Ruth, but I will be doing it outside in the wind. So.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. That sounds perfect. Yeah. I'm figuring out if there's a way I can get out of the Atlanta heat, but I may, my brother and sister-in-law moved to Washington recently and I may actually be um, spending a little bit of time out there just for some, they might need some help with my little niece. So I'm like, they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, uh, can I come next week? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's the Temperature there right now. <laughs> it's in the sixties. They have on yeah. jackets when I talk to them. I I, know. I, I call them like in the, like it's early morning for them. And they're like with their jackets and their pajamas. And I'm like, um,
2: when's the next flight that I can get? Yeah. When can I get out there? But it's, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that it's not that far of a drive to just kind of get away for a little little weekend trip and then you know i'm always grateful that we have our our little van to kind of travel covid safe for sure um from that perspective so yeah yeah that's. this, this covid i mean it's it's interesting my son has had a couple friends test positive for it and he's been in and they they're all for for 22 23 year old young men i think are handling it as as safely as they can but what's crazy is that none none of his friends have been symptomatic at all um and i, I think that kind of hit home when he was talking about one of his friends that was was diagnosed positive was just like no symptoms yeah. so i mean why wouldn't he come home and see his family for the weekend um yeah. but yeah it's crazy
1: yeah, I mean, I think it, it's like that's what we're realizing, right? Is like um, a lot of people don't feel bad. Like the mayor of Atlanta tested oh, yeah. positive um, this week. She and her husband and one of their children tested positive, and she had no symptoms. And she said her husband's just been sleeping more, but he just thought it was allergies. And her son, her I
2: don't know if, which child it is, but they didn't have any symptoms. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, I was having a conversation with Betsy Welsh with fellow News today, and. I'm like, is it allergies or is it COVID? I <laughs> think <laughs> we've been saying that all year. <laughs> Do I stay home or can I can I go out? I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a mask, um, yeah. obviously, and I've never washed my hands more in my life. But um, yeah, but you know, at the same time, you're just like, I I don't like. That's the whole thing. Is if you're sick, stay home. Well, you don't know if you're sick, so makes it challenging for sure. So.
1: I know. I was just about ready to start some group rides again. And I and I still feel comfortable with a small group outside, but I'm a little nervous. Like if I open up a group ride because everybody's like been asking about group, group rides, yeah. like I'll end up with 50 people there. <laughs> I just don't feel comfortable with that. Like, you know.
2: Did you just, do it as a sign up? I probably could. You like know, and like, work. <laughs> and just be like once I know. <laughs> I know. It all it all feels like a lot of work and even more so now, which is crazy because it's like this weirdness where you have more time, but you don't have more time. I, I don't.
1: I don't have more time.
2: Yeah. I don't, more time. I don't have more time either. Who am I
1: kidding? Yeah. So I know that you saw this speaking of group rides, you saw this on yeah. um, social media and you you actually have a conversation. Um, yeah. Anybody does not follow gravel, try hard she has the best Instagram account.
2: (laughs) It's pretty funny.
1: It's so funny. She like makes fun of um, pictures of women that are sexualized on bikes. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. So I've followed her a long time because she makes me laugh, but she has started a new uh, Instagram account called you can ride with us. And it's for, uh, it's, it's just to create spaces, especially in smaller communities where people may feel like Maybe I don't fit, especially people of color or maybe LGBTQ people, or I think just anybody that's nervous. I've had so many bad first group rides, Christy, yeah so that I almost left crying. Um, mm-hmm. And like I am, you know, a white, straight woman that you know has plenty of experience and all of that. So I love what she's doing. Um, and it was in our newsletter this past week, but you're gonna have a talk with her actually.
2: Yeah, I met with her today. Actually. Oh, we did. Yeah. I did. Oh, I mean, it's great. Um, she's been uh, an active participant in DK for a long time. Um, she's uh, she's been a sounding board for me in some of our processes of um, DK. You know, I mean, she, she's a person that loves the event, and and the event has changed her life and. Um, she wants to share that love with other people, and she just wants to share like riding bikes with people um so I think that intent is is fully from a genuine place um and I'm excited to see her take the leads with this take the lead with this and and I'm excited to watch where it can go but um you know I think it's a it's just another platform to try to um raise awareness and give space so that part to me is pretty exciting. So you can yeah. ride with us Instagram. Yeah, I know she, she was taking off on a little bike packing trip. So she's going to be out for a couple days. Maybe yeah. she's back, maybe she's back from that. What's, what's the date? What was it?
1: I don't know. That's, I, it's <laughs> Wednesday.
2: Yeah.
1: We're on Thursday. That you're going camping. Uh, yeah, she, uh, yeah, she ha- already had like 300 and some people sign up that they wanted to help like welcome people which I think is really cool. Like, I think we're realizing that um, there are a lot of people out there that don't feel comfortable or don't feel left out or do feel left out. And that might be why our starting lines are often so not diverse.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I honestly think, I don't think the start lines is where we should be judging this. At. Right. Um, because it's the, the start line is, the start line is the byproduct of riding bikes in groups for, for a long time, right? Yeah. Like the start line isn't where you start. So, this is a space where we you know the start lines can feel an effect from movements like this um, because they are giving people the opportunities um, and making them feel welcome and then and then they can graduate to to a start line um yeah. this is its own form of start line basically and um it's it's one of the issues i have like with in in this in these cop topics of conversation is that they're come you know we're coming at events like we should be doing more and i don't disagree but it doesn't start like i can't start it at the event level it has to start at the community level and at the you know at the group ride level that's where it has to start and then you know i mean there's stuff we can do yes but i can't just all of a sudden have a a more diverse start line my start line's open
1: no i 100% agree with you i think it is the result of what happens in communities and group rides and You know, that's why it's really easy to complain about events not being diverse. But you really have to look at what are you doing in your own community. Yeah. People feel welcome and to provide spaces for
2: diversity. Just an invitation can be that it can be that easy. Yeah. Um, you know. And then when I I mean I remember one group ride we had a beginner's ride, we had a woman show up and she was uh, carrying her two water bottles in two grocery plastic bags hanging off the handlebars. And, you know, I, I, I'm was like, Oh, that's not, that's not okay. And, you know, from, from a safety perspective, not from like a, (laughs) like a caught in your wheel. (laughs) Yeah. And just like turn, like, it just wasn't a, it wasn't a good idea. And it, you know, you had, you had talked about how, how to help start training good ride leaders and you know that was a that wasn't an easy thing to navigate necessarily because i didn't want to make her feel bad um you know she was like "I, i know i need to bring water and this is the way i can bring water um but you know to be able to go over to her and say hey um that could be dangerous and here's why um so let's work for a solution for you on this ride and then we can work towards something more permanent for the next one and i think on that one it was that I put her water bottles in my back Jersey pockets, um, yeah. just in an effort to, to help. But um, it's just all of that stuff making, I didn't want her to feel like she couldn't come back because she made the mistake of showing up with water bottles and grocery bags. But yeah, um, so I My first
1: group ride, I should, when I started getting into cycling, which was with triathlon, but I showed up, it was a team and training ride. And it was, I thought I was doing a beginner triathlon, but a lot of people were doing like getting ready to do an Ironman next year. They had done team and training for years and I didn't know any of this. And I showed up on my mom's, um, hybrid with my Umbro shorts and my tennis shoes and my t-shirt and Mm -hmm. and I pulled into the parking lot and every single person had a tri bike and spandex. And I literally almost pulled back out of the parking lot because I felt like I didn't belong. Yeah. Like the coach saw me and came over and there were a couple of people in that group that really got like, I just, like, I could very easily feel like I was left out or I didn't belong and they just embraced me. And that made, it was little things, but it made a huge difference. Yeah. You know, so I think that's where all of us need to be is just recognize those little things can make a huge difference.
2: And you know what? It's okay if you're not wanting to help beginners. Yeah, (laughs) it is. I mean, it's, you know, because it is a special, it is a special thing. Um, and it's okay. You know, just, it doesn't, but they're still welcome. You know, that's how we, that's how we all were there at one point. So, um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to hold it against somebody if they don't have the the space in their life to take time out to do those.
1: Oh, absolutely. Some people have like much bigger goals and they like their little time that they have has to be spent on training. But I think like even little things like like I know now who in the triathlon community is really good for beginners. And I'll always be like, here's Nicole's phone number. (laughs) Yeah. So,
2: um, Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is a great way to get that started for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, we have a fun interview today with another one of your friends, (laughs) (laughs) but you're heading to Colorado. Yeah. That's my transition. There you go. There we go. We we suck. We suck transitions.
2: transitions. Are there? Is is there people
1: any... send us transition ideas. Like yeah, send are... us your worst <laughs> transition idea and we'll use it on the podcast. We'll make it happen. <laughs> that would be really funny. You should totally send us like a phrase that we're supposed to use for transition.
2: Trans- Trans- In, oh. through Instagram. That would be hilarious. And yeah, transition quotes for Christy and Catherine. By Christy and Catherine. Um no, Amy. Amy Charity is a delight for sure. Um, positive, energetic. Um, you know, new, newer to the gravel scene, um, but has embraced it with all of her charm and wit, and is one of the um, co-founders of SBT Gravel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm thinking about that. <laughs> I teased her at one point. I was like, did you guys leave out the valves because you don't have as much gravel as we do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the way they do things in steamboat. They're fancy. They can,
2: they can do it how they want. Cause they've got some beautiful um, areas to ride. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I, it was, it was another interview that I thought was really fun and um, I needed it. So it's good for me. Yeah.
1: It's a very, it was a very fun, positive, uplifting interview. And we hear all about uh, their virtual option, which some people may want to jump in on and their route. Yeah all over the country i know there's a route in atlanta that yep. i've got my eye on so we will go ahead and get to our
2: interview with amy charity hey catherine i'm so excited that gooders come on as one of our sponsors
1: i know we love gooder sunglasses because they come in so many fun colors and sassy fun names Like I got Lance's afternoon uppers. And I got rosé before (laughs) brosé. They're really fun. And they're also performance sunglasses.
2: So they're no slip, no bounce, and polarized. They start at a ridiculously low price of $25 a pair. (laughs) Which
1: means that Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You do not need a discount when you already have the most affordable performance shades on the planet.
2: So go to gooder.com slash feisty and that's g-o-o-d-r dot com slash feisty now. These glasses even look good with mud on them. (laughs) They do. Hi, everybody, Christy Moan here, and I'm so excited today that we have a really good friend of mine. Um, she's become a fast friend of mine, um, Amy Charity. Amy, thanks for joining us today.
3: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: How are things going in Colorado? Things are good. Um,
3: in Steamboat, the, the snow is starting to melt. So uh, me. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, higher elevations, you can still definitely find some snow. We had our last big storm, which it we only had probably two inches, but we always seem to get a June snowstorm um, that keeps us on our toes, reminds us that we live in a mountain town and that at some point it's coming back. So, um, it's, it's a really cool time of year in Steamboat. Like the wildflowers are coming out and it's really green and they're starting to open more and more single track trails. So, higher up every day, there's an announcement that a new one is open. So, this is kind of a, a magical time of year in Steamboat. Awesome. Has it
1: been weird? Because there's a big ski resort there, correct?
3: There is, yep, um, yeah. So that this is definitely a a ski destination. Um, we have the the trademark for Bike Town USA, um, but it's also very and that was taken sort of off a play of Ski Town USA, uh, which which we've been for a long time. So um, skiing is definitely when most of the visitors come in here, and the winter time, the the size of the town or the population of the town just skyrockets. Um, And in the summer, it's getting a bit more busy, but it's not quite the same as winter. Yeah,
2: that's cool.
1: Well, this podcast is not about Steamboat, it's about you. So (laughs) tell us, um, I'm the master of transitions. Um, (laughs) I'm terrible at transitions. Can we
2: vote on that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, I know you just from following the launch of the steamboat gravel race last year, but tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into cycling and what brought you to, um, yeah, helping produce this really cool race that happened last year.
3: Yeah. Um, so I, I got into cycling pretty late. Um, I didn't start bike racing until I was 34, so straight out of college, I jumped into sort of a corporate career. I worked at Capital One for nine years, and uh, my last four years were in England. And um, at that time, I was exploring some of Europe via bike, but I didn't know anything about racing at that at that time. Um, so it was just a a fun way to go to a different country and do rides. And so um, that. That took me through to 30 years old and then I wanted to return to my home state. I grew up in Colorado and I wanted to be closer to my parents and so um, I came back here and at the time brought my, uh, I guess he was my boyfriend at the time, now um, husband of 11 years. And um, he is English and he was a cyclist and a racer. And so when we moved back here, um, I I worked at a couple of different places, but the last stop was um, doing um, investor relations for a hedge fund. And at that time I, I did my first bike race and absolutely fell in love with it. And just thought like, oh, this is great. I'm gonna do this like, on the weekends for this entire summer and see where it goes. And um, it it really just exploded from there. This was all road racing at the time, um, gravel, Gravel was around certainly, um, but I didn't I didn't know anything about
2: it. Say like, um, easy, Amy. <laughs> <she's>
3: like, <laughs> I know that's whenever I say gravel's new, people are like, "Come on, we've been on dirt roads for decades." <laughs> so I'm aware enough to know gravel riding has been around, adventure riding has been around for a very long time. But um, my background was definitely on on the road. So. Um, yeah, the to kind of fast forward uh, after racing a lot um at the Colorado level, I ended up getting a contract with a team called Vanderkitten in 2013 and uh we we had a really aggressive race schedule um starting in El Salvador and all over the US and ending in Italy and there there really wasn't room to work in um, a very demanding career in sort of the finance world and also be a bike racer and um, to kind of the, I, I mean, varying opinions of others, I, I jumped off the the ship of the career into a cycling career um, in my early 30s.
1: That's awesome. You're like the third person we've talked to in the last two weeks that's kind of gone that route that like you know left something like a career or like a big graduate degree to go into cycling um and not like in their early 20s it's
3: it is it is fascinating i would love to see the statistics on um how many men go that direction versus women because i think um in the men's pro racing world they're considered considered older once they're in their like mid to late 20s and there's um you know they really i think need to focus on cycling earlier there are some exceptions but that seems to be how it goes and for women you meet them and these Um, Olivia Dillon, I know you've spoken to her, she's one and um, Evelyn Stevens is kind of the classic case of someone who left a a very um, demanding corporate career to go and become one of the best bike racers in the in the world. And so it's amazing to see the backgrounds of women like I, I I just think it's incredible. You meet them on the start line and one is a vet and one is like uh, getting her PhD and the the people just, it's, it's a smart bunch. And I think that, (laughs)
2: yeah,
3: I think you can be in those careers, but realize that, um, like you, you might have some potential in something else and, and why not give that a shot? You know, you can't, you can't do that forever. So why not, um, of try to try to tap in and see what you're capable of and um, that's really why I did I thought when I'm 60 when I'm 70 when I'm 80 do I want to look back and say I I crushed it in the corporate world or I was a professional bike racer and um, the latter was much more appealing so
1: that's cool so how did you make the transition from um, pro road racing to gravel and kind of what's the difference there
3: yeah, so um, I raced through to 2015 is when I was um, sort of had my my last race. I raced in um, World Championships and the Team Time Trial. And at that point, I was like, I've had, like, I've experienced everything I think I want to on the road. I'm ready to go back to sort of a, a more normal lifestyle. Racing on the road is you're, you travel every, I mean, you're always on the road. I was home like a handful of days that I can even remember over a three-year period like you are in host housing you're you're constantly away so um, I I was after after that experience in racing worlds I just thought I need to come back and figure out um, my life and a job and so I didn't do much in, in 2016 and then gravel it felt like was really becoming popular and I was starting to some of my um, Allison Tetrick was a former teammate um, on Optum, and she had talked um, so eloquently about the, her experience with Dirty Kansas. It was just something that you're like, oh my gosh, I got, I have to do that. That <laughs> sounds life changing. So um, that that was always in the back of my head, and um, I I met somebody who. He's he's associated with Shammy butter, and he said, "Hey, if you ever want to do Dirty Kanza, you know I can walk you through kind of how you do this race." So, yeah, in in 2018, um, that was sort of my my first shot at it, and I I didn't know I mean I didn't <laughs> I didn't know at all what I was getting myself into. I'd certainly never raced that many hours or that many miles, um, but but it's incredible. And one one thing I will say is the. The cool thing about gravel racing is that we we just, I just appreciate so much is the mass start. Like I think that is one of the the best things with with the race. Like you're on the start line with whether it, the person who is a, a mom of three kids and um, hopes to finish by the cutoff time and will be. At out there all day long, and you're next to a World Tour Pro person, and you might be next to your spouse or your best friend or a former teammate. And that mass start setup to me is just what makes it incredible. Um, I think the, the start lines on road races is, um, I'd say, more intimidating um, just being with your peers. So I, I love to see that. And I'd love to see what the women are able to, to do when they're mixed in with, with the bigger group.
1: Oh, man, I'm gonna be at the very back of that mass start because I come from triathlon and we notoriously i I tell people I'm like, triathlete, bad bike handling skills, stay away from me.
3: <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the beauty of it. You can line up wherever you <laughs> see it and um and and everyone's out there together. That's what I yeah. think is just so so incredible about it. Um, I know DK seen some great results with this, but Sbt last year are. Uh, Brody Chapman, Lauren Stevens, they were, they were 20 minutes behind Ted King. Like they were, they were in that, they were in the mix. And um, to me, it's showing that with some of these ultra um, long events that, Uh, women are really showing what they're capable of and um, mixing it up with the men. We have this killer picture of Sarah Sturm, like leading the pack, like Payson and Ted and all those guys are behind her and she's in the front. And it's just, I I see stuff like that. And it just gets me so excited for the future of women's cycling. Yeah.
1: I won't be surprised if a woman wins an ultra event one day, because there's so much that goes into it. Like you could be twenty minutes up, like Ted King, and get a flat, or like two flat, you know. Like, and then you get it's like that's you know the Lil Wilcox story of her winning. She's like the guy went the wrong way, and then he's like, "Do you want to ride together?" And she's like, "No," and she took off, and like, um, yeah. you know, she's like, "We're racing," and then she yeah. beat in the last hundred miles.
2: I mean, against think- was- Voigt at Dirty Kansas. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're like apparently that.
3: Uh, yeah, the Tour de France is not that hard. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Like it's um, it's there's luck, there's talent, there's there's persistence, there's like all this, all these things go into doing well in a gravel race. And I think that um, you've seen studies where women, as as it becomes ultra and as it gets longer, the gap is smaller. And I think we're going to continue to see that. And to your point, yeah, like any, you can have a lot of bad luck out there um, and uh, anything can happen. So I think that's really encouraging and it's, it's so fun to see. Um, it's, it's so cool to be on the start line with, with these different like athletes that you coach and um, mm-hmm. your people that you work with. And I just think that's one of the coolest things with gravel racing, like it, it the the barriers to entry your are very small and
2: that's compared to road racing. It's a different world. For sure. You spoke about coaching. How many athletes do you currently have? Cause you, you coach. I do.
3: Yes, um, I have 12 and um, they're, all, they're all in the US but um, kind of across the US. I have a handful in Steamboat, which is fun. I can get out and do intervals with them um, which makes it great. And then um, others are all over. The place so it's it's been an interesting year to be a coach um with most events moving or um, not happening or going virtual i think um keeping people having a purpose and a motivation has been an interesting challenge and for the most part people are they still want to train this these are You know, most people are, (laughs) you have it in you and you want to sort of strive towards something. So we're constantly, it's different for everyone I coach, but we're constantly thinking through what's the next goal or what is June, what are we accomplishing? And so I love to see the challenges, the, um, you know, the Leadville 100K challenge is a a great example. Um, SBT Virtual is a good example. Just a reason to keep training and and this pays off. It's not, just, it's not just to keep training. Like these yeah. races are coming back and um, you, you've got to keep going. And, uh, it, and all of this is base building. Like all yeah. of this is kind of money in the bank. Anytime you put in the saddle, it, it counts. And it's, it's going to make a difference um, in races
2: when, when they do come back. That's a good way to put it. Money in the bank. That's what I was thinking. I'm just putting yeah. money in the bank right now. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> that's all I have. I've like I have miles of, on the bike, and I, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> <in the> <laughs> as opposed to real money in the bank. <laughs> real money in the bank.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, you actually have a book called The Wrong Side of Comfortable, and you talk a lot about um, like one of your passions is helping people think about getting outside their comfort zone. Why is that important? Like, tell us what you mean by that, and why it's important
3: yeah so um the title of the book it came from my my husband and he has an interesting way with phrasing things but um when i was just getting used to cycling and starting to understand like it's it doesn't always feel good and i think it's easy to think like oh as soon as your legs start to hurt or your um heart rate goes up your lungs are burning it's like well you can always slow down or sit up and i think that Um, That is what a lot of people, a lot of us do is, um, you know, we, we tend to pull back as soon as things get uncomfortable. And um, I remember a training ride with my husband and we were, we were sort of at the end of, we'd done a long day already and we probably had 20 miles left and I was sitting on his wheel and I was looking down at our pace and it was flat. We were going maybe 20 and then he kinda, he goes 21. And and I'm just watching and he's putting on like a little bit more pressure on the pedals, going a little faster, a little faster. And I start to have every sensation of like, this is awful and I'm gonna sit up. So I was like, I kind of yelled out to, him, and by the way, we're dating at this time. So (laughs) now I would have just set up (laughs) Then it was like, Hey, would you mind like slowing down a bit or just like, you know, knock it back a tiny bit. And he was like, in his lovely British accent, he was like, darling, you're just on the wrong side of comfortable. And I just like, it just sunk in. It was like, okay, I, I can, like, I have a vision of that. Like I know what it feels like to be on the right side. I'm just on the wrong side, but, I'm okay. So um, I I thought of it a lot in races going forward of like, what is it to be on the wrong side of comfortable? And I think you have to get there to be able to see what you're capable of, to, to test your limits, to improve. Um, And so I, I try to live that way. I try to coach that way. Um, And I always try to encourage people that you just, you, you don't know what you're capable of until you do something that that takes you there, and um, I'm constantly trying to find ways to um, get people to to push those limits, and then you discover like, oh, I can do this. I'm I am okay with that. Um, I think a really a good way to do that is surrounding yourself by people who have a skill that's better than yours, and. Um, and, and I and I think like in my case like mountain biking I'm a terrible mountain biker and I I try to <laughs> ride with people who have technical skills and um and, and that helps and it, it is frustrating like when you have something that doesn't come naturally and you've worked on it a while but um, putting yourself with those people who um, have the skill set I think is is a good way to to learn to improve and then and you do get better. And then in a couple of years, you're like, I can't believe this used to scare me. I can do this.
2: Yeah. I had a friend ask me one time, um, how she could get faster on the bike. And I the exact, my exact quote to her was ride with people that are faster than you.
3: Yes. Yes. I mean, that's,
2: yeah. That's Every yeah. ride, but do it like a couple times a week, go ride with somebody that's faster than you and, and yeah. just hang on. That's
3: perfect advice. And I think, um, But then when it gets down to the moment, you have to realize like this isn't comfortable, like it's it's and that's okay. And I think that's um what we have to what we have to remember. Um, and and continuing to challenge yourself. So, um, a a funny thing a a friend and I are doing, I guess it's tomorrow night, but we're we're riding our bikes to a 14er, so a 14,000 foot. Mm -hmm. And The ride is 6,000 feet of elevation gain. It's 50 miles away. And you have to do 14ers. You have to be off of them, done by noon. So we're leaving at midnight on our bikes. It'll be like a four-hour ride. Get to the base of the 14er at four in the morning. We'll climb the 14er. It'll take us like eight or nine hours. Get back to our bikes and ride 50 miles home. So this will be like a 15-hour day. And so I'm saying this because... Number one, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's putting myself out there. It's my friend is a much better trail runner and we'll probably do a little bit of running on the peak. Um, But it's also like, I'm making myself accountable by saying this out loud, (laughs) you know, like, and, and that's helpful too. It's um, so I think that if as, as people are trying to think through like, how can I do something that's a little bit harder? Number one, Figure, find someone who can, who can do this with you. Maybe someone who's a little bit better than you tell people what you're doing and make yourself accountable in that way. And then have a huge stretch goal and learn something. And I think if you can continually, continually do that in your life, you're, you're always figuring out what you're capable of.
2: And yeah. not just on the bike. I mean, that goes, yeah. yeah. One of our lives right now in <laughs> our country. <laughs> But I think it's so,
1: I love it when people talk about this, Amy, because I think that some people, and when I say some people, like I get in this mindset too, like, well, it's just easier for some people, right? Um, And even we were doing the DIY DK a few weeks ago, my friend Claire and I, and we did like a really hard climbing day and I just did not feel good during it. I made some poor nutrition choices and the next day like i got up we're gonna do like a another longest ride and i was like oh i can't you know like going to bed i was kind of like dreading it i was like i can't do it it's too hard blah blah blah. and then i woke up and i was like you know what you've got to just totally change your mindset (laughs) like if you walk into this believing that you can't do it you can get it's going to be challenging but i'm perfectly capable you know
3: i I Um, love that you like you always picture that the person who's faster than you, like, isn't hurting, yeah. or like they're just fine, or like their bike is lighter. Like these are the, like, the Claire is th- younger than me. Well, yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh well, their water bottle's empty. I mean, you can get crazy with what yeah. you're thinking, or like they're on a ten thousand dollar carbon bike, and my bike is nowhere near as good. Or like, you can go through these rabbit holes of reasons why. You're, like, you're at a disadvantage. And I think you're absolutely right, is to think through like, this is, this is hard for, for all of us. And um, I remember my, my least favorite training ride when I was um, sort of you know, racing professionally was eight one minute VO2 max effort. So one minute as hard as you can go, rest for two minutes. Honestly, like I wouldn't sleep the night before VO2. I would text my coach and say like i'd rather do eight hours endurance can i do that instead (laughs) (laughs) as opposed to working for eight minutes i was like i will do anything else and um i tell my athletes that because they'll 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 send me their feedback and say that was awful i didn't have the legs like i don't think i can do this this sixth one was terrible and then they got worse and i and i tell them like it it does it hurts. Like this is awful. Like that's how you're breaking barriers. That's how you're getting stronger. Like nothing about VO2 ever in the history's time has felt good to anybody, including like Peter song on, like, no matter who you are, Cavendish, like it it really it hurts. They're just going faster than we are, but it really it hurts all of us.
2: So um... they have to go further if they're going fast. Yeah, <laughs>
3: that's right. Yeah. So um, I think that's a good perspective to have is like, um, when you, when you come out of it, it's, it's so worth it. Like there's nothing that feels better than when you finish a long day on the bike or a hard effort. Like there is, there is nothing that feels better. Yeah.
1: Well, I encourage a lot of people, a lot of women to like sign up for events um, when they're like, I don't know if I want to do an event just because I'm like, you learn so much about yourself and your limits, like by making yourself train for something, even if you don't care, like what your result is at the event, like that process teaches you so much.
3: That's definitely true. Yeah. It gives you this target. Cause sometimes people are like, why would I pay money? Why would I want to travel? Like you can talk yourself out of a lot of stuff. And I think that, um, those events are really what they're, they're, testing you to see like all, all of it's like reaping the benefit of all the training that you've done. So it, it gives a purpose to it, but in such a good way. Yeah.
2: I know, you know, SBT, uh, your first year was last year. Yeah. And obviously this was going to be year number two, which is now going virtual, which sucks. Uh, <laughs> yes. But of course, I don't think it's any surprise that I would be such a huge fan of your women's initiative. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've done with SBT gravel and, and what your percentages looked like last year and kind of the direct, the trajectory you were pers- um, anticipating for 2020?
3: Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I would be remiss in not um, stating that Chrissy, you led the charge in this in the gravel world. Like I think that um, a lot of sort of, you you have just got the momentum going with women in in gravel, and I think that's incredible. And I I remember hearing about the DK two hundred women two hundred challenge. So um, yeah, I think you're definitely a role model in all of this. Um, for SBT specifically, we um, we launched the event. We were really excited. We sold out in it was in six days, and that was great for a first year event. And um, we had fifteen hundred people. And when we first looked at the numbers, we were um, in the low 20s percentage for women and just thought like as race promoters, this, we can do better than this. And how do we do better than this? This isn't right. This like, where are the women? They have to be out there. Um, And so tried to think through what are the barriers? Why aren't they signing up? And so one thought we had was um, if we can get other women to understand that this is every like everyday women are doing this Um, and and who who are they and how did they decide to sign up so we reached out to a handful of our women who had already registered and just said tell us your story like what are some of the things you've overcome why are you excited to be here what do you like to eat on the bike who are your training partners and just getting that story from women of all ages all abilities and um And then shared that with the greater sort of sbt community so we opened up additional spots and after telling those stories and then filled those spots quickly which is so exciting because it's like they are out there and they just need that extra little push like um i can do this others are doing this like i'm gonna make it happen so um that was really encouraging to us we got to um it was just above 30 percent women which is good it's not great i think we have we have a long way to go um and so we we really tried to do everything to make it an equal race um you could line up wherever you wanted we didn't even do call-ups um we wanted it to be whoever you are you feel that this is you have an equal opportunity to win the race Um, we did equal prize purses and um a pretty um hearty prize versus, and so I think that was fun to get additional women in there um, and we addressed the women we really wanted them to feel welcome and so um, we did a, a our talk before we did our racer meeting was please show up and we want to just thank you for being here um, and so we'll, we will continue to do that. Even for our virtual, we're going to check out our, our numbers and um, really hope that we get um, closer to 50-50. Um, my, my vision is that in a few years, we don't have to do any special marketing, that it's just, it happens that way, that we sell out right away and that we do have equal numbers of men and women. Um, I would love for that to be the case. Um, we're not there yet. And we're going to keep making sure that women feel welcome and identifying what their barriers are and trying to help them overcome those barriers to to show up. So, um, well, and I think collaboration has been incredible. Um, It was really such a unique experience to be um in Arizona with Christy representing DK and Rebecca representing Rebecca's Private Idaho and we were the race directors and there were more women race directors than men and i think there's something really really great about that like we are um you know trying to lead the charge in um bringing
2: you mentioned the Arizona Bluebird media camp thing and what was funny about that because I, I i'm I'd reached out when 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 Chris Lyman did that the year before I'd seen the pictures on social, and I noticed that in any of his pictures there weren't there weren't any women, yeah, and so I just reached out and I said, "Hey, Chris, <laughs> whats up? We exist women <laughs> And he was <laughs> like, "Oh, that's a good point. Do you want to go next year?" And I was like, "Oh, I wasn't like, sure." <laughs> That's not what I was saying. I was like mostly pointing out the fact that there are women in the industry that you can invite. And so I was really stoked, like his response for the 2020 oh, Yeah, it was,
3: just, it was awesome. Yeah. So I think to there is collaboration. I think we're all, all three of us have that same, like we want to see more women in racing. And I think all three of us are driving towards that, um, a objective and to have it coming from different races and different race directors i think that that is going to eventually move the needle with this so that to me is awesome to have kind of um two other big iconic races um have females kind of at the reins yep yeah. and you- more
1: saying i mean yeah. that race is growing really fast her yeah, partner. oh for
3: sure.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's done so much with our Girls Gone Gravel group and DIY gravel summer webinars. And um yeah, it's it's cool to meet all these women that are like, how can I just build the bridge for other women?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think- like I think it starts, um, you know, Nica is doing great things and really trying to push to get young girls, and I think that's a good place to start. Um and then camps like what you've done in the past, Christy, and I think um, SBT, we had a women's camp scheduled that unfortunately we had to cancel, but I think that um, creating those environments where women are really comfortable and learn a lot and are in an environment that feels safe yet still really challenging, I think is um, what is going to help kind of continue to get more and more in the Oh, I
2: I love our DK women's camp. Oh, it's... It's
3: you can't have more fun. <laughs> like, yeah. There's there's no better way to spend days and just like being surrounded by these incredible uplifting women and you're on bikes all day long and you go through what, uh, whatever flat tire mud like hunger, whatever challenge you go through, like you're in that environment, but you're with really amazing people and it makes it super fun.
1: Yeah, I have a question for both of you. Um, as you're leading in the space, like, what do you you think some of the things are? Because Christy, I know for you, like you reserved those 200 spots and then people thought it would take, they wouldn't fill up and they filled up like the same day or something. And then, you know, yours filled up really quickly after you opened up the additional spots as well. I think, Amy, like, is it, what is it that the guy is sitting at the computer waiting to fill out his stuff and sign up and the woman is like, you know, like, do you have any insights on that? I kind of have a theory, but.
2: Well, I think, I I think there's a, several things that happen. First of all, I don't think, I mean, bike racing is not cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times women are, um, I mean, we're not necessarily head of households, but we're the ones that are watching the financing. We're the ones that are taking care of, you know, the kids and all those sorts of things. So, so setting that time aside and that money aside for yourself to commit to something is definitely is definitely one of the pieces that i think is a is a high a high barrier i also think um the i i kind of call it the support like you know who's going to watch the kids when they train and who's gonna who's going to be their support person when they come to these events and you know trying to line that out um can play can play an effect in it too and i i do think we like to have a lot of times we like to have company. We like to know there's somebody else there that if, if they aren't with you, they, they look like you, they resemble you, you can relate to them. Um, so to me, those are kind of the three things that I think you have to give. Women, they, ha- they just take a little bit longer. They have to have a little bit more space. And when an event like Dirty Kansas, when we opened up our 26 registration and our, our six, sorry, our 16 registration, um, wait, 17. I don't remember the, the but this has
1: been 10 years this year. So it doesn't matter what year it was. When,
2: when the event sold out, I mean, we said three minutes, but honestly, there were five or 6,000 people online before we even opened the gate at 8am. No, I mean, no woman had a chance if they were waiting, they had to be in that exact same position. And so that's why we, we saved those 200 spots back because I was like, (laughs) it's a crapshoot. So.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, I absolutely think you nailed it. Like women, um, we, we see that if there's, um, you know, the, the big financial, whether it's signing up for the race, but it's also committing to a weekend somewhere. Like you, you do the numbers you think like this is going to cost a couple thousand dollars or whatever it may be. And I think that that is, um, those decisions for women are often like more challenging, Um, and
2: they take longer to process. And I, I love, I mean, I love talking this question because I think, you know, one of the other things I know with SBT is the same thing. We stopped looking at just our participation in women in the 200 event and have looked at them across the board because the the reality also comes down to the fact that you can't just, that's a long, that's a big commitment. It's a long, it's a long, a lot of work to train to ride 200 miles in one, in one chunk. Yeah. Uh, So I think the fact that we have those different distances and now we're looking at women's participation across the board, um, you know, in our 25 mile distance at DK, we're seeing like 55% female. Um, it's, it's actually like above. Um, so to me that was an eye opener that like the challenge we put out was obviously for the 200 mile spots. But then as I've grown through this process, realizing I want women to come to the start line at the distance they feel comfortable with and just know they can be there. So SPT has the three different distances and I'm sure that helps too.
3: Yeah. And I think that's, that's how we've really tried to make it feel inclusive is come and do whatever distance you can. And, um, if you, over time, if you want to increase that's great. If you're, um, if you have the time to train for it, then we want you to continue to um, move up or challenge yourself in whatever distance that may be. So yeah. I think that, that helps um, rather than just having one one distance It can feel like, oh, no way, I'll never do that. This way you can sort of ease your way into, into doing the longer distances.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a huge part in the community piece, right? Like, I manage everything in my life and so figuring out how to get to, like, Steamboat, Colorado and get my bike there and get it put together and go by myself and not have shared experiences. I think we just like really enjoy sharing experiences with people and say so, like trying to recruit your buddies to go um, can always, sometimes be a challenge.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. And then there's also the, The bike barrier, like the equipment side of things, like for, that's usually friends of mine where I'm like, Oh, you have to do SBT. They're like, I don't have a gravel bike. And, and I don't know men, if they've already bought them or they're just more comfortable making that purchase. I don't, I haven't thought this through enough to know why that's so different, but like, I never hear guys saying like, I don't have a gravel bike, but that's like the first thing my friends tell me. (laughs) Yeah. When I
1: worked at the triathlon, the uh, bike shop, but it was primarily triathlon guys would walk in. And like a very out of shape guy would walk out with a $5,000 bike and a woman would come in like two or three times and be like, I don't know. I'm just a beginner. I don't know if I should buy a bike. It was just like a different, there's a different attitude. I think it's changing. Like I think women are getting much more, there's, there are a lot more role models. And I mean, that's one of the reasons we love this podcast is we get to share voices like Right. Amy quit her job at 32 and like pursued professional cycling. <laughs>
3: like, yeah, you know, like yeah. Share stories. Not not more yeah, completely. So I think that all of those are are reasons, and um, yeah, it 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 goes it starts young, and I think that we I think we're moving in the right direction, and I think that if, when I compare, you were asking earlier about road versus gravel. When I think of the barriers to entry for a road race it's like you need you need a license and you need to sign up and I remember my first race it was like um what category are you and I was like I have no idea <laughs> like, yeah I category one turns out no I was a category four but like people don't know like I was like a cat four what like I have no idea what you're talking about so it's it's really hard to get into that and have the right equipment and know how to draft properly and like everything matters and it's very specific and there are a lot of rules and there are a lot of under like unwritten rules that aren't in the rule book and I don't think gravel is that way like people are breaking down those um, rules all the time. You see funny things that some of the pro guys wear and you just see camelbacks and you see lights and you see like all sorts of stuff. And I think that that is creating a very inclusive place for people that can just, they can show up and they can stand there and they can join in on on these races. So I think gravel is really changing the cycling industry. Wow. It's pretty.
1: Pretty rad. Tell us about this virtual SPT gravel. And if somebody wants to, can anybody sign up for it? If somebody wants to do it? Yeah. So
3: um, what we, what we decided to do is we thought, okay, we need people to continue training. We want them to still have a goal. We don't want August 16th, which was our race date just to come and go without anything happening. So we decided to, launch a virtual it's sbtvrtl um we like to um cut vowels out of a lot of the words so this is <laughs> this is our sbtvrtl and um basically it's it's ride any of our four distances wherever you are and in 34 cities across the U.S., we've, we've reached out to people who um, are either racers or sponsors from those cities, and we've asked them for routes. And so they've come up with really cool routes in their hometowns. So, for example, if you live in Chicago, you can do SBT Virtual Red, so a 64-ish mile ride in Chicago and then you upload your ride hopefully you see others out there riding um, and then it'll all be sort of this community thing on Strava when you have your results and we also when you sign up for these our um, partners and sponsors are doing a lot of really cool giveaways so um, it, once you sign up you might win an Avis helmet or you might win Roka sunglasses or some really cool stuff um, what it's would you be our- one of these in Atlanta? There is one actually. Um, oh, yes, we just got the video. Um, a former teammate Lauren de Crescenzo and her boy fiance. Oh, has-
1: yeah. They just, she just broke the effort thing, right? Is that who?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right. she did. She's amazing. Um, she works at the CDC and her um, fiance is in med school at Emory and, um, they are, they are an incredible couple and they've helped us come up with routes. So, definitely sign up and definitely. Oh yeah, we're stuff. in. Oh, awesome. And then um, we have a, an element to for fundraising. So you don't have to give any money, but if you can, we're looking for people to donate. We have a couple of national um, organizations, People for Bikes, and then Nike Grit, and Grit is specific to the girls in Nika, and then we have three local organizations in Steamboat, so we thought that um, if people are in a position to um, donate to a nonprofit or organizations for these causes that we are, believe in and are encouraging, that that's great, and so we want people to, to have an opportunity to do that, but um, the virtual event is entirely free. And so, something where you can sign up for it, stay motivated, do the route wherever you are, and um, yeah, get out there, hopefully, see a few others who are doing the same roads as you are. Love it. So, yeah. Sorry, I muted myself. <laughs>
1: there There's a dog now that wants to go for a WALK. <laughs> Well, that is, that sounds amazing. I'm going to check out the one in Atlanta yeah, do and find out more.
2: I would come join you in Atlanta, but I'm not going
1: to. <laughs> I'm actually a little scared of the route that she's going to choose because it's, she did yeah, just have no, the no, Everest that's record that's in the
3: gaps. Yeah. She is, uh, she puts in some serious miles and they look challenging. I think they'll be yeah. fun. You can choose. Can it, in it. mountains here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There, there's a lot of elevation gain.
0: Yeah, so
1: very cool. Well, Amy, tell people where they can find you on all the things and find out more about um, SBT Gravel if they're interested for, gosh, it might be 2022 before you have spots open, but
3: yeah, Uh, yeah, we we will, we'll see how that all unfolds. But um, yeah, so the, for SBT Gravel, it's sbtgrvl.com um and so you can find we have a ton of information on our website so everything about this virtual race that i've been talking about we have training plans up there nutrition plans there's a lot of great information about steamboats so um yeah check out the website and then um for i have a website as well for my coaching business and book and that's amymcharity.com and instagram at amymcharity
1: Awesome. And you can get the book on um Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. On right? Amazon.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. I just yeah. saw it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to meet you in person.
3: Yes. Um, Come I, to boat for sure. I have your phone number now so I can text you. <laughs> please do. Oh my gosh, All my ideas. <laughs> I would love to hear them. I'm like, <laughs> Christy will tell you. As soon as any idea you have, I'm like, yes, <laughs> sign me up. I want to help. We've awesome. had brainstorming sessions for sure. So
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
3: Yeah, great chatting with both of you. Thank you for doing this. This is, um, this is really um, a great additional step in kind of moving everything in the right direction. So thanks for doing this.
1: The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.